Hey everyone, welcome back to the first five years sponsored by SAXA. I'm one of your hosts, Agassi Rodriguez at Clemson University. Hi party people, this is Erica Aguiar, your other host at the University of Florida. What is up friend? How is it? 2021. 2021, new year, same beard. Am I right? Can't say I relate, but yes. In like yep. a grander sense, I relate. In <laughs> new year, same same beard. Metaphorically Metaphoric, My metaphorical beard is very much the same. Happy 2021. I have heard it referred to as 2020 fun. I'm not having a lot of fun yet, but I hope it comes. <laughs> Well, that's different than what I've heard with people describing this as December plus tax or December 30 something. And we're secretly still in December. I mean, uh, still secretly in 2000, uh, 2020. Oh my gosh, that was hard to get out. <laughs> December plus tax. It feels like it. Feels like it. But so far, we're okay. We're, in, we're enjoying the year as much as we can amidst truly... Uh, I don't even know the word for what the last two weeks have been. An insurrection? Yes? Yes, yes. For lack of a better word, a, a general I mean, coup the, of sorts? General coup, it is It is the word. We're doing okay? I mean, we're good. <laughs> Somewhat. Our democracy is not, but... I, I don't know. She's a little shaken. She's a little shaken, but I I, I think she'll come back. She'll come back. <laughs> Hopefully. I, I wish people could see your hand sign for that. Just bring it well, back, but... Welcome back, everybody, to the first five years, and we're so excited to kick off another grand year with you all in our favorite little, oh, I'm going to steal your line, Agassi, favorite pod on the block, talking about life as a new professional and, and all the things that come with it, all the uh, accouchements. I know, fancy. Is that your challenge word? Is that my challenge word? Because I have no idea what that means. If I used it correctly, which... I might not have. I think it means, I use it to mean side dishes, but I don't think that that is the literal definition of it. <laughs> so what? So, so are you just like pulling words in different languages into conversation and hoping for the best or hoping no one questions it? A little bit of both. I like in, in my life when I hear accoutrement, it just means, or like maybe additional things. I might be wrong. We're going to look up the definition and see how off I am. We're going to quickly pause the recording of this episode to fire up the good old Google machine and just do a quick little, quick little search. Um, but getting back to our content, as always, welcome to the first five years. We hope to bring you some timely information based off of the calendar year and providing a public voice for graduate students and new professionals in student affairs. And this week, we're really excited to talk about the top 10 job search rules and some of the tips that we think are really important for you to live by. I also, um, just so everyone knows, we now know the definition of accouchement, which is um, an item of equipment or dress. So I was, I was so wrong. I was so wrong. Yeah, girl, you weren't even you weren't even a fifty mile radius of that one. There's no <laughs> not delivered to me. If this was a if this was pizza, out of range. If this were pizza, that's the example you pulled out. Yes. Oh gosh. 
Well, that's, that's a, that's a bonus tip for you. Don't use a word you don't know the definition to in an interview. We should add that to the top 10 uh, job tips that we're about to talk about. Don't use a word you don't know the definition to during your interview, but we're spoilers, spoilers. Um, Erica, we forgot to welcome our guest. Not that he requires an introduction of sorts because he is a Longtime friend of the pod slash our producer, uh, Mr. Miles Surrett. Welcome, Miles. Hi, Miles. Yes, let's do this. I want to talk about job searches, and I want um, Erica to come up with some more definitions for words that she feels a little bit uncertain on, which feels like maybe a new segment, just something to think about. (laughs) I was just about to say that, giving Erica words, instead of challenge words, giving her words saying, what do you think this means? Oh, that is a perfect segment. Can I tell a quick story? Um, so I don't know if any of you have played um, Loteria, which is um, a, I think it's it's derived from Mexican culture. It's the only time I've ever seen it, but I don't want to take credit away from any other cultures. And it's, it's, I've heard it described as bingo, but basically you like read out a card and you'll put down like a chip. We did it with frijoles if you get the word. And so I was the caller for an event we did with the Latinx Staff and Faculty Association here at UF. And I said, um, parajo. And they were like, what? And I was like, parajo. And it was, the word was pajaro, which means bird. And I just read it quickly and said it wrong. So I think this could be fun for us. I think this could be a big adventure that we could all go on together. We'll see. We'll see. Well, you listeners out in the world let us know if you think this is a segment we should uh introduce into our special little pod but i would be super hyped to give you words and try to see you try to figure out what the heck they mean (laughs) i love it um well before we get into that i want to know y'all what is the best thing you ate this week really the best thing you ate in 2021 so far well uh, the beginning of the new year means I'm back to classes, which means that for two evenings every week, I am <laughs> in my little office space at home during my classes. So thankfully, once again, Carter has stepped up to the domestic plate and has, a, has a really helped with a lot of the house stuff, including the cooking. Uh, but this week, he made a stir fry. And I'm so proud of him because it came out super awesome. He did it all by himself. Um, He doesn't do a lot of the cooking in our relationship. So I try to really uh, support him when he makes food for us. Uh, But the stir fry with noodles, we recently went to an an Asian supermarket uh, where we went pretty, pretty hard in the paint. I will, I will say we came out with a lot, a lot of different noodles, a lot of different packages, a lot of free frozen things, which have mostly been eaten at this point over the last like week and a half, two weeks. Uh, but that's the best thing I ate this week. I love that. Carter, good job, friend. If he listens, maybe. Miles, what about you? Um, so I made uh, a stew on Sunday, Monday, I can't remember. And um, it is a chorizo potato stew uh, recipe by Andy from Bon Appetit. And um, I was a little bit uncertain about it at the beginning. It is not a health dish. Um, it, you uh, include bacon in the dish and you cook the onions in the bacon fat. Uh, and that's how you start the dish. So, um, and the first time I had it, I thought it was okay. Um, but then Aaron had the idea that maybe to serve it over, we have another dish that we really like, which is served over cheese grits. 
similar, a similar kind of stew. And um, the most Southern thing about me is that I, I can really throw down on cheese grits. Like if, I, if you ask me, what can I cook the best in the world? It is cheese grits. I feel very comfortable with it. And so I've been serving this chorizo and potato stew over cheese grits. And it's, uh, it's aging really well. It's a dish that's like really made it nicely through the week. And I, and I liked it more today than when I first cooked it. So, um, yeah, so I think, I think that's, I think that's it. It's not been like a banner week, um, uh, as far as food, but I, I think that that was very good. I like that you said, you know what this could use? Butter and cheese. And it made it better, which is normally a rule for life. Make that a job search rule number 12. Butter and cheese make everything better. I don't know where that fits in. I also feel like it wasn't a banner week for me, but today, um, so Agassi will know this, I had Krishna lunch. So um, the Hare Krishnas have been a part of the University of Florida in some form or fashion since the 70s. And when our um, sort of like one of our big open spaces on campus was renovated, they actually donated funds to it because they've been such a part of the community because since the 70s, they have provided vegan and vegetarian lunches every day, Monday through Friday, from uh, really like, I mean, literally the 70s, and it is so good. And today was chilly day, and they had the same same, um, same foods every week, and it was really good. So I was just happy to have Krishna today. And Spaghetti day was always the best day. Spaghetti day is now barbecue tofu and mac and cheese day. Agassi muted himself because he needs a minute. I do need a moment. Wow. It's just Some people just want to watch the world burn. It hurts. Honestly. It does hurt. But the dressing is still the same, and that's what they're known for, y'all, is this, this dressing. So good. So I got that with my partner. We had a little quick lunchy, and then it just made me happy to have something that I haven't had in a year. So, yeah, nothing I made, but it was really good. Well, y'all, some delicious sounding food. Uh, thanks everybody for sharing. We're going to go ahead and jump right into our conversation. And once again, as we kind of mentioned just a second ago, today we're gonna be talking about the first five years, 10 job search rules to live by. Uh, and we really wanna preface this conversation with, we understand that this is not an exhaustive list. We understand that there might be other tips and other pieces of advice folks might want to offer into this conversation. This is the top 10 list of things that we pull together after talking to one another. So by all means, if you have additional tips or if you have additional advice um, that you would like to share, please let us know what are some other tips that you have found useful in your job search or in relating to other people, but wanted to just preface that really quickly before we jump right into our conversation. So job tip number one, I'm going to start us off. Pew, pew, pew. Um, don't tell yourself no before they do. Apply for the job. Or another way to put it, have the same confidence as a mediocre white man and just go for the gold, y'all. Just go for the gold. If you are looking at a job description and you are thinking, there's no way that they would be interested in me. I just don't have these preferred qualifications. I just don't think I match up. You're already telling yourself no before you even like get out of the gate. Like go for the gold, yo. Like submit for the application, like at least entertain the idea, like really think about like, what are the skills? What are the qualities that you bring to a table? And then add some tax to that. Know your worth y'all, because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it is their decision to make 
And if they choose to not move forward with you as a candidate, then they have made a decision. But if you are telling yourself no while you're just reading a job application, then you're already doing that before even. And that's not me advocating for applying for jobs that are way out of our, our experience. If a job is asking for five to seven years of professional experience and you're a graduate student applying for your first professional job, maybe maybe that's not the, the exact job. But keep in mind that sometimes preferred qualifications are things that applic uh, job uh hiring managers are looking for in addition to certain skills, that does not mean that you have to have all those skills. So just go for it, talk to your network and just really go for it. I mean, you know, let's think about the most famous quote that any of us know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Michael Scott. By way of Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> By way of Wayne Gretzky. But seriously, you're, you know, if you tell yourself no to something, you don't even give them the chance to say no, but I do want to really harp on this sort of oh, have the confidence of a, a mediocre white man, something that I think about all the time to sort of counteract my imposter syndrome. There are people doing jobs that are higher than me with much less experience and with less quality. And, and that's not to hate on anyone, but really who says we can't do that? Who says that we don't have that? We've downplayed ourselves so much. And I think in some ways, first gen students and students of color and lots of other groups are told that we are, worthless but we really need to sort of bump that up um because like if they say no they say no whatever but they might they might say yes and that's a really cool thing yeah no no hiring manager is going to be offended by somebody submitting an application nobody's going to like look at this and be like oh my gosh i would never consider somebody for another job just because that i'm so insulted that they would even apply for this like really you know shoot your shoot your shot um Speaking of job applications, here's a thing that um, is very true and that connects, I think, to this um, you know, concern that people have about the job search process, which is you've got to ask for help. We all have networks within our field, um, whether it's people that you went to grad school with or people that you went to undergrad with or people that you met at a conference or people that you've been on the leadership team for an organization from, or people that you just know they're friends of a friend. We all have those folks. And the biggest, like a huge mistake that people make is to sort of just like totally protect their search and treat it as this like precious creature that you can't talk to about and you can't reach out to ask people about information or if you're applying in their region to see if they have connections. Um, the goal in that is to get your name out of a pile. You know, you're gonna, uh, as somebody who's, who's hired before, you're gonna get a lot of applications. Um, and particularly right now when, um, when um, finances are challenging on college campuses and there's, less, um, and there's less jobs available, you're gonna get those applications. And really the goal is to, you know, if there's 75 people that apply and you can get somebody who you know, can put in a word for you, I think it makes more likely that you're gonna get to the phone interview stage. And that's just you know, asking somebody to speak honestly about you and about your um, potential and interest in the job. Um, and I just think when, when I did my job search prior to coming to Clemson, that was a, that was a huge mistake that I made. I, I held back on that. I talked to some folks about it, but I definitely did not fully explore and ask for help on things. And I just think that, um, you know, I think that that's really critical. And I want to really also focus on the, the help part because it's, it's not always just, can you put a good word in? But I remember I was job searching mostly in California and at NASPA, someone that I talked to that was in my network was like, 
hey, you should really think about switching from your Ohio address to your Florida address because in California where we look a lot where you're coming from because a lot of people just want to move here for the warmth. So if you're from Florida, it might communicate like that's not the reason you're moving here. You haven't all, you know, you might want to move here really for the job. That's a very, very specific example, but they can also give you insight into institutional policies or, or things to keep in mind or the way a region works. And you would not have that information had you not reached out. So people are, I think, especially in student fairs, inherently good for the most part and want to provide support even if they, you know, can't hire you directly. So ask those questions and get that help when you can. And just in quick addition to all that, your network includes people that you might know secondhand. So it does not just mean the people that you have personally interacted with or have met with, like think about the folks that you know and what connections those folks might have and that they'd be willing to introduce you to. Just this morning, I sent a text message to a friend. Um, one of our graduate assistants in our office is interested in a role at their institution and said, hey, do you know this person? Can you connect me? I said, yeah, absolutely. Reach out to the friend, boom, they're connected. So do not think, oh, well, I'm a graduate student. I only know like two people in this field altogether, and this is where they work. Those are the only people I can talk to. Really think about, hey, you are you? Do you know this person? Would you mind reaching out to them again? The secondhand connections mean a lot, and kind of going off of like Miles's point about reaching out and asking for help and talking to people about your job search. I know there's a lot of anxiety around the job search. And specifically, you know, sometimes we do want to guard and we do want to protect. That doesn't mean that you have to tell 100,000 people about your job search and what you're looking at, but know that you can talk to people. And if you feel like, hey, I don't think I can talk to anybody, yo, you have me and Erica. That's what we're here for. We are so happy to connect. We would love to talk to folks about what they're looking for and what they're thinking about. And even if it's just a to offer an ear to listen, please, we are, we want to be a part of your network. So please reach out to us. We're always happy to chat. I like the, I like the plug there, Agassi. Please be our friends. Connect with us on Twitter. Um, and I think this sort of ties to our third tip, which is to do your homework and then also do the extra credit. And when we say do your homework, people, you probably hear that all the time, right? Research an institution, research the office, the history, what's going on on campus. But really take it that step further. Think about what is really happening on campus, right? What is, you know, the history of political activism, for example, or I always tell people, you know, really look into what, what is occurring on that campus and affecting students. In grad school, I was told, and this is, you know, especially in COVID times, very difficult, but if feasible, if you're going to an on-campus, see if you can fly in a day early and walk around campus and spend some time seeing how students interact with the campus and interact with each other and what they're doing in their spare time. Because that's not only indicative sort of of campus community and culture, also you're gonna learn a lot about really who the students are just by seeing the way that they walk through campus and getting sort of a feel for it. Again, that can be really you know challenging to do, but what are those extra things that you can do that go beyond just saying, I read the job description and I read you know, your homepage. And on top of that, um, some just sort of things to keep in mind when you are applying for a job, people always tell you, refer to the job description, refer to the job description. Sometimes that disappears off the hiring website. So make sure you save that because you're gonna go back when the job closes and you no longer have that. So copy it, save it over. Uh, my biggest thing linked to this and just being like very 
organized and ready to go when you're interviewing is to just make sure you upload a PDF when you are uploading any job materials, because not only does it rule out any issues with um, maybe like track changes or like edits that happened, it also just will look the same for everyone and formatting wise, that's really nice. But really, you know, think about all of those extra things that you can do that on your campus, make it go from someone who has read about the institution and actually experienced it. What are those things that you can start to build in uh, to really make yourself stand out a little more? And some of that research, honestly, y'all, is easily accessible on the internet. Look at the institution's social media. Look at the department's social media. Like, look at what people are saying about that department. Look at what students are saying about the institution. All of that is public, and all of that can help you gain a better perspective. And from a different perspective about what, you know, your role might look like, maybe not specifically in that office, but it'll give you a hint of, okay, what does this institution care about? What do they talk about? When something happens in this country, does the institution say something? Who is saying something? So again, when you go into the interview and you're able to talk about this thing and be able to speak on, oh yeah, I was actually on your Twitter page and I noticed you just posted about this event and I was curious, how did that event go? Because again, that shows that you did due diligence, you looked, you looked and did your homework and as Eric was talking about, you went a little above and beyond. It wasn't just, I'm gonna look at the things to prepare for my interview, but it's, I wanna know whole picture what this experience could look like for me. Because at the end of the day, you're only gonna get so much information during this interview process, and then both sides have to make a decision. So it's important that you feel like, okay, I've looked at this from multiple angles, from multiple perspectives, and now I feel like I can move forward in, a, in this direction. I love, I love all of that. Um, I think part of where you can start to incorporate that um, is the cover letter, but I think this gets to rule number four, I think that's what we're on, number four, yes, is a thing that, you know, there's so much about the process that you can't control and that you can't really prepare for. You can prepare for a lot of contingencies, but you don't know if they're coming. But one thing that you can prepare for is the first question that you're going to get in almost every interview, which is some iteration of, in the South, it's tell us about yourself. In other parts of the country, it is you know, um, tell us about your interest in the job and why you think that you would be qualified for it. Um, in the South, we mean the exact same thing as people who are speaking more directly. Nobody wants to hear about, you know, nobody's interested in hearing about your, um, you know, your like passion for uh, basketball when you were in middle school and how that led you here. It's really, it, it's a much more applied question, but that's something that you can really actively prepare for. And that is the first impression. I, I very firmly believe that the beginning of the the beginning of the interview and the end of the interview if you can book in that really really strongly um then you are going to do uh then you're going to do really well and that's something that you can prepare for you can be ready you can give them your your best stuff right there from the get-go because you know that that's coming all the other questions it's hard to prepare for there's things that you can anticipate you will probably get something related to equity you may get something specific to student development theory depending on the campus but it's definitely an answer that you need to be prepared for because it could be a stumping kind of question um you can anticipate questions about students. You can anticipate stuff about, you know, work culture. If it's a supervision position, you can anticipate that stuff. But the only thing for sure that you know is going to happen is how they're going to start it. And so they're prepared for that, that process. And so you should be prepared to make a good first impression, hit the ground running. And um, yeah, so that's, that's uh, rule number four there. 
I don't know that I have a lot to add to that because I think it's incredibly true. Just I and I always say, and maybe you all have different opinions on this. That's really I want to start the interview with my I don't want to say with my personality because I'm not like, hey, everybody coming out, you know, like I started the podcast today by saying, what is up, party people? Not going to start an interview with that. But that's very important to me that people know that who I am as a human and not just a very sort of here's my answer, but you're not going to get any personality in it. And I also find that when I do that and I can sort of be myself a little more, it makes the other answers easier. But it it starts in that one question like that really sets the tone because you can't really go from a very sort of this is my interest in the position to, you know, going up and down. And and that's just me, but, you know, Miles Ragasi, feel free to add commentary to that. It 100% sets the tone. That is a, a sure-fired way for the folks who are in the process of interviewing you to almost make a determination very early on, okay, how do I think this is going to go? And again, as Miles said, you can 2,000% expect that you are going to get some kind of iteration of tell us about yourself and why you're interested in this role, why you're a good fit for this role, something of that nature. So you 1000% can prepare for that. Um, and again, that's something that you should be able to like talk about. If, if you have some difficulty articulating why you think you'd be a good fit for this role, how are the hiring folks supposed to know how you're going to be a good fit for this role? Because what you should be doing during interview is making it explicitly clear. This is from, this is my role. Like I can already do this, I know I can do this, and I'm gonna tell you why I can do this from the get-go. Leading to our fifth point, um, our fifth little tip, know your non-negotiables and stick to them, but be flexible, okay? So when you're thinking about your job search and when you're thinking about what functional area you wanna be in, what type of institution you you think you wanna work in, what geographical area you wanna live in, all of these, factors and all of these variables that lead you to make decisions about this is a job I want, or this is not a job that I want. Know what are some of those non-negotiables. And that way, when you see things pop up, you know, in your heart of hearts, this is not the one for me. This is not the job I want. But also in that conversation, think about, okay, well, you know what, maybe this job is a little bit more North than I was anticipating because I really wanted to be in this part of the country because I want to be close to family. But you know what? This state isn't too much further away than what I was thinking. I'm going to go ahead and apply. One thing you really have to consider as you're going through this job application process is that a lot of it is a numbers game. A lot of it is how many job applications are out there in the universe, and then you kind of start refining. There's X amount of jobs that are available right now. There are X amount of jobs that I think that I'm interested in. There are X amount of jobs that I'm going to apply for. But at the end of the day, you should be applying to as many jobs as you can. And that doesn't mean that you are necessarily going to apply for a job that is absolutely out of the functional area you're looking at. That does not mean that you're going to be you're going to apply for a job in a state that you have no interest in living. But again, going back to the don't tell yourself no before they do, you know what? Throw your head in a ring. If it pans out, maybe that's something you can explore a little further because as I've very openly stated about my job search process that led me to Clemson, South Carolina, South Carolina was 100% a state that I initially said, I don't think this is a place that I want to be in. Um, And I kind of opened up after I started talking to some folks who did live in the state, who worked at Clemson. And I said, you know what? I'll try it. I'll give it a shot. And here I am almost three years later and I've loved my experience so far. So again, really just know what it is that you're looking for, but be 
good enough to understand that like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little flexible on this point. Um, maybe it's the pain, maybe it's the geographic location, whatever it is. And, and Agassiz's right. It is a, it is a numbers game and we can't, especially for those of you who might be searching right out of grad school, this is a very long and hard process, especially because you sort of have a time limit, right? Your position ends at some point. And, and I don't want this to sound like we're saying just take the, take the first job that comes your way. No, no, no. But what are the things that you're willing to, to compromise on? And, and you have to know that. Also, in addition to that, when you're thinking about some of those non-negotiables, really think about the things that that role or that job can offer you that are not explicitly stated in the actual job description. So when you think about your negotiables, think about, you know, who's going to supervise me? You know, is this someone that, you know, works in an area that I'm interested in who could provide some mentorship or provide some guidance who, you know, is a reputable name in student affairs already that might be able to help in my own journey of growth. Think about the professional development that those areas might be able to like offer. And that does not specifically translate to how much money is this department going to give me? Because I think when folks talk about ProDevo, they always kind of focus on that. Okay, but what's the number? What is the amount of money you're going to give me to do things? And there's a lot of professional development that does not specifically tie back to money. There are webinars, the institution can offer things, the department itself can offer things. So think about those. And then also just your fellow staff. Are there other new professionals in that office who I can, you know, be friends with? Um, I was really grateful that when I was applying for this role at Clemson, uh, there were other new professionals that were being hired around the same time. And I cannot say how great it's been to have colleagues who are at similar stages of life at me as me who can relate back to like the things that I'm feeling. And that has absolutely just been awesome to have in this job. I think as we um, think about sort of transitioning to kind of the end of what the process might look like, there's um, for my job search um, uh, settled on a really big rule for this specific process. Um, I know I drive Agassi um, a little bit uh, nuts in applying it to other things, but I do think it has applications outside of this, um, but that we'll save that first ever conversation. For here, what we will say is no hypotheticals on top of hypotheticals. So you can really get spun out. You're not gonna have, as you're doing this job search, whether you're, uh, you know, whether you're a new professional looking for your second job, whether you're a grad student looking for your first job, whether you know, you're doing this and, and you've been looking, uh, you've looked before, what you can really get spun out imagining things that might happen. And you can think about <clears throat> what will happen. Uh, you can think about, okay, once you, so when you apply for a job, you've gone, you've interviewed, you can start to think in that moment, will I accept this job? What you cannot do is think about if I get this job, it is trying to manage a bunch of variables about situations that are totally outside of your control. What you can do though, is you can think about the next step that's in front of you. Um, and so you don't know if you're going to get that. You don't know if you're going to get that job offer until it actually, until it actually comes. And so what is probably more helpful to do is to think about, 
the situation that is directly in front of you. You've applied for a job. To decide whether you would accept it or not is probably not a helpful or a beneficial thing because you don't know if you're going to get it. It's a hypothetical on top of a hypothetical. Once you get the offer, then you can start to think about it more, more fully. Nobody's going to tell you that you have to decide something within five minutes on a phone call. You're going to have time to consider it in real terms and really start to think about it. I did spreadsheets with cost of living and I did you know, trying to compare and figure things out and then didn't get job offers. And it was just a huge waste of time and emotional energy that could have gone towards being with my family or friends or applying for other jobs. And so um, I think it applies to other stuff too, related to our work and lives. And, and we can really get spun out trying to, trying to project into the future uh, in a way that's not even possible. So no hypotheticals on top of hypotheticals. Just keep, you know, the things that are concrete and right in front of you, make decisions about those things. Don't make decisions about decisions that you don't even have the opportunity to make yet. I think that's especially important for people like me who I get so excited at prospects. And like, I'm someone who I will see a person walking down the street. And I'm like, we could get married. Like I just sort of, it gets, it goes, it goes a little further. Not now I have a partner, but don't get into that space where you just are like, wow, they have this program and these are the changes I could make because it just hurts. It hurts more when it doesn't happen. I'm not saying it won't happen, but set yourself up to, you know, be in a, in a space where you have already, you're two steps ahead, right? You've already applied for another job, like, you know, Miles had never stopped applying, that if it doesn't work out, like, on to the next. Um, I think that's always really helpful. I also have the next one, so this is rule, uh, rule number seven. And Erica just mentioned this, but I, I wanted to expand on it a little bit. So a thing that we know for sure is that higher education uh, job application processes take a long time. And so we're starting with that concrete information. This is like, for me, all the other rules are really important. This one is maybe uh, logistically the most important. Anytime you apply for a job, you cannot expect really to hear back from that process. I, I applied for a, a lot of jobs when I was searching to come to Clemson and, um, and I can only think of one job where I got a quick response. Most of the time it's a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month before from the time that you submit an application before you hear anything back. So with that in mind, here is rule number seven. Do not stop applying for jobs until you have a formal job offer. I, and I, I'm, I like cannot be more serious about this. I do not care how good of a vibe you got, how excited you are about a job potential, um, how well you clicked with someone. It's a wonderful thing to be excited about an opportunity and to feel really good about it. And the best way to not worry about that is to keep applying even after you finish. You did a great on campus, feel really good about it. You've sent your thank you notes. You've you know tried to contact uh, connections in your network who can put in a good word for you. And then once that's done, the best way to continue your process and put less pressure on that job that you're really excited about is to keep applying. Because every day that you stop applying for jobs is going to be a gap in the progress that you're making in this process. And so if you sit waiting to hear back from that job that you were really excited about for two weeks, three weeks, a month, five weeks, and it, you get, you will have a gap in your process that will make it a double whammy of something happened at, probably outside of your control and you didn't end up getting that dream job. And 
by the way, now you're not gonna hear from anybody else for three weeks, four weeks, which makes the whole process stall and really slows everything down. So you just keep going. It's good for, I think it is good for your emotional health as you're doing it, but it is also logistically advantageous so you don't stretch out your process because you just don't know, um, which we'll talk about again in a minute. But Yeah, I just think, you know, and that'll sort of tie into our next one, but don't, don't set yourself up for the double whammy. Just, and the thing is, if you feel really good about it and then you apply for another job and you get the one you're excited about, you can just pull out of another job search. There's nothing to say that you are locked in. Right. But the other thing, and this is something that I have seen like IRL happen is that your dream job is going to post the day after you accept a position, just accept it and move on. And I've seen it happen to multiple people. First of all, dream job. I don't dream of labor, but you know, a great job that fits all of your needs, right? That's going to happen. Now, does that mean that you should, if you are, if your last choice is conduct, for example, that doesn't mean you should accept a conduct job in February because you're so nervous about the job search. Put yourself in a space where you're applying to lots of different things, no hypotheticals just know that something else is, there's always something else out there, right? There's always other jobs. There's always, you know, that a thousand dollars more in pay or whatever it is. If you feel confident about the position, about the work, you feel confident about where you're going, the pay is what you need. The supervisor's good. Whatever comes next. I think that's sort of tied to the hypothetical, right? Don't get so, oh, that job could have been better. Maybe it was going to be a terrible fit, but be excited that you have a job because you listens to all of our other rules and you feel really confident about it and it's what you want and just sort of take that next step because you will job search again. Whatever job you are looking for right now is not going to be the last job that you ever have. Or, I mean, you know, you might be that 1% and that's cool too, but for most of us, another job search will happen. Can't get through an episode without talking about the 1% hierarchy. <laughs> I said what I said. You know, something else to really consider, even your dream job is going to post or a job that you think you are like, that is your job while you have a job. You are going to see job postings and you are going to screenshot it and send it to your best friends named Erica and be like, holy gosh, look at this job. Wouldn't I be perfect for this job? And you can both talk about, wow, you would be. And then you kind of move on because you are currently employed and you are happy where you are employed. And, you know, maybe the, the converse of that is true. You know, maybe the alternative is true that you are in a job and you're like, this is not the thing I want a different one. And then you see a dream job post, but really think about the fact that like, there are always going to be jobs getting posted that you're going to look and be like, wow, that looks better than what I have now. But again, really think about, is it though, is the $2,000 more worth it to move? Is the less in professional development potentially worth it? Is the shift in functional area? You know, whatever it is, obviously there's a lot of meaning making that goes on there. It's not as like black and white. It's not as absolute really, but think about the fact that like, while you're working at a job, you're going to see job postings also that you're like, this is a job that I absolutely need to have right now, but you might be happy where you are. So just keep that in mind as well. And then thinking about the job search process again, going back to like the, the interview process generally, remember that this is a reciprocal process, okay? This is not just a matter of, I need them to pick me because I need this job. What you should also be thinking about is that you are also picking them because you know if you do get to the end of the line, they're gonna say, hey, 
we like you. Are you down? And you have to make the decision of, are you down? Did you collect enough information about the institution, about the role, about the office, about everything else to be able to say confidently, yes, I do want this job or no, after thinking about it, I don't. But remember, you are learning about everything as much as they're learning about you. So take advantage of the opportunities that you have to learn. So when you're sitting across from them and they, you know, they close their little pad failures and they say, well, those are all the questions we have. Um, do you have any questions for us? because it's going to happen, you better come out with questions of like, what it is that you need to know. And yes, we have all been a part of job search process where we're like, this is a question that's going to make them like, Oh, that was a great question. We do need them. Look at the way they think. And yes, that is valid, but also, and also think about what you need to be. All right. I remember my job search process, miles point blank asked me, what are two things that concern you about working here? And I very directly was like, I'm worried about not finding a community of people who identify the same that I did. Thinking about the fact that I was thinking about applying to South Carolina and some of my apprehensions were because I'm a gay Latino. And those are things that were sal are salient to me. And those are things that concern me. I'm like, okay, like I know that I've heard about the South and I'm happy to say that I've been proven wrong in a lot of instances, but that was something that I was inherently nervous about. And that's something I said, this is what I'm nervous about. And Miles came back and said, here's some support groups. Here's some things that I was able to find out. And here's some resources that you might be interested in should you accept this role. Man, oh man, did that put this open position well above anything else that I was looking at. Why? Because not only did he ask me what I was concerned about, but he addressed those concerns in an honest way. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, I can see why you'd be scared to be in this area because you're gay. <laughs> you know, but honestly speaking, remember that you are learning about this. And if they turn around, they're like, Ooh, we don't have anything to offer you. And that is something you're nervous about. That could be a sign that maybe this, that's not the role for you. That's not the place for you. And that's okay. Maybe there's something else, but be honest about what it is that you need and what you're looking for and take advantage of that interview process. Because again, it's not just about, I need to be a great applicant for these people. It's, well, these people also need to wow me. Why? Because I'm also applying at some other places. And the reality is you're gonna be applying for a lot of places and interviewing at a lot of places. So like people are trying to capture your attention. They're trying to get you to work at that where they're working. So honestly, ask what you need to ask. And if they turn around like, ooh, they ask about a gay thing. We don't got that here. Again, maybe that's a sign. So think about that. These are just things that I didn't think about in my job search, and I'm glad that you asked. I'm, I'm glad that we're just talking about this because I just sort of was like, yeah, they'll be there, but I'm glad, Agassi, that you were like, no, I asked, and then that really does tell you a lot about someone if they're just saying, yeah, that could be really tough, versus here are some active resources that I have found for you, and here are other things we can work on. So I, I just, I really appreciate that point. Okay, so I'm going to finish here with... Uh close this out with a uh, rule number 10. And um, uh, I think y'all can probably tell that we feel uh, passionately about a lot of these. Uh, but I, I do feel uh, especially passionate about this. And I just want everybody who's considering going through a job search to hear this as clearly as possible. When somebody posts a job, they have institutional considerations that they're making. Um, they have job specific considerations that they, they're making, they carry their own biases into those processes, and then they are conducting profoundly broken and flawed processes. And I say all that because 
If someone tells you you've gone through a process, whether it's a paper process and you didn't get a phone interview, whatever stage you're in, whether you've been to campus and you've talked to someone extensively, they do not know you. They do not know you. They do not know your work. Their decision is a reflection of many things. And even if they believe that they have determined conclusively that you are not qualified for the job or someone else is more qualified, there's a very good chance that they are wrong. And it is just not a reflection of you in the process. You, we all can get in our heads about this stuff and it's just not personal. So I don't want anybody who's going into a job search process to believe that they're, if they are told no one time or many, many times, that that does not mean that they can do this work and they can impact students and that they can do this job really well. Um, because people in your life may be able to tell you that. People in your life may be able to, may have enough information. Your current supervisors, your colleagues, your cohort mates, they may have enough information to make that determination. But the people who almost certainly do not are the people who are heading up job search processes where they're gonna have points of contact with you for about two hours. Maybe it's longer, it could be longer, but like three or four hours is not a full determination of someone's work. Think about when you started a job. Do you think you, that the first four hours that you did in that job were indicative of the job that you were gonna do for the next four weeks, four months, or four years? The answer to that is profoundly no. And so I just want everybody to hear that and to remember that. And as you're submitting those job applications to know that you're not putting yourself out there. You are putting a fragment of a microscopic bit of the totality that is you out there. And people are gonna make an evaluation based on that that is oftentimes uninformed. And I don't mean to take down people's processes because I know I, I work very, very hard when I hire to run good processes. And I'm very uh, proud of um, many of the hiring decisions that I've made over the course of my career. It does not mean that that is not the product of me oftentimes getting lucky and probably missing other really good people in those, in those processes. So I just, I hope that everybody will hear that and remember that and not think of this as some validation of you as a person or an employee, because it is just not that. If these podcast mics weren't so expensive, I would say mic drop, but yes. And I think Agassi, especially for you and I, as people who overthink a lot, and I'm sure a lot of you too, and the job search is scary, trying to internalize it as little as possible is probably going to be the best thing that you can do. And just remember that just like when you're on the other end, think about if you've ever hired students for something and sometimes it does not, you know, work out for them that you don't, it's not always about them. There's all these other external factors. So I think that that is a perfect one to end on. And I just hope that you all really listen to these and take them, you know, with a grain of salt. We are, you know, not the end all be all, but these are, I think a good, very rounded list of things to consider when you start your job search or maybe you're already in it and this is coming at exactly the right time if that's the case you are so welcome but we are happy to be here and share you know something something to really consider um i'll be very honest the first job that i applied for and interviewed for and rejected from was at my alma mater and erica can attest to how much it hurt to be almost rejected by your, your alma mater in a way, because it was like, 
whoa, they knew me as a student and now they knew me as a professional and they said, no, thank you. But really, again, as Miles is saying, it's not about you. There are other decisions. Like there are other, there's a lot of factors at play. And I know that in these processes, sometimes we throw ourselves in there, especially for things we really care about. Why? Because we want to make the best impression that we can for this job. And when we are rejected, it hurts because you do feel like you did put yourself into this. You did give it your all and you're like, wow, that just, I guess my all wasn't good enough. But really think about the fact that sometimes a rejection is not a rejection, it's a redirection. So thinking about the fact that just because one place told you no, somewhere else is going to tell you yes. And you know what? Once again, going back to my decision of where I work, I love where I work. I love what I do, even though my job low-key kind of changed, but I still love what I do now, the new stuff. Um, but again, think about the fact that, you know, maybe where you land might end up being a little better for you than you, you anticipated. So think about the fact that, you know, as Miles was saying, sometimes it's not about you. Somewhere there is someone putting rejection as a redirection on a throw pillow on Etsy. And I think that we should all hold that quote near and dear to our heart. That was really beautiful, Agassi. Stop. I cannot take credit for that quotation. Uh, but if you, I mean, if, you know, if our fans are interested, uh, we would love to start an Etsy page. Erica, I know you are, you can, you can get some crafts or get crafty. I'm not a crafty person. Um, oh, I mean, I could make you a popsicle stick that looks like a stick figure. So by the, I, I like that we're dabbling in merch. And I think with that, we've become a little unhinged and it's time to wrap it up. Listen, TFFY hoodies. TFFY onesies. Onesies, onesies. Oh gosh. Okay. Okay, y'all. We'll, we'll we'll get the page, the fan page, up and running. Um, please join our Patreon soon. Um, all the po- <laughs> <laughs> all the podcast jokes that we can just throw out there into the universe. Hello, Fresh uh, is America's number one meal kit delivery. <laughs> <laughs> Zip recruiter. <laughs> just throw out okay. all this. Okay, we're done. We're done. We're done. And scene. Well, y'all, thanks for joining us for another episode of The First Five Years presented by Saxa. Thanks, of course, to Miles Soret for not only joining us on this episode, but for producing the show overall. And if you want more more information on Saxa, the Southern Association for College Student Affairs, they are available on all the things. Facebook.com backslash Saxa fan page, Twitter at Saxa tweets, and Instagram at Saxagrams. And as always, you can find me at Erica M underscore Aguiar. That's A-G-U-I-A-R. And Agassi, where are you on the tweets? I am also on Twitter. Uh, please find me at Agassi underscore R. That is A-G-A-S-S-Y underscore R. And Miles, you want to you wanna throw out some social? Folks can really keep up with some open job applications at Clemson University. I recently, just this week, uh, tweeted a uh, quote by Erica from y'all's most recent podcast. It's not even a job application. So, you know, if you'd like to see what that is, uh, you can find me at uh, Miles, M-Y-L-E-S underscore Surrett there on uh, the Twitter.com. We are so happy to be with you all in 2021, and I hope that this episode brought you joy and laughter and some good tips, and we'll be with you soon for another episode. Thanks, party people. Bye.